And I think a lot of it had to do with like breaking this preconceived notion of like, this is how you draw, this is how things work. But then when you like continually go back and break your foundation of what you think drawing is, and then you do it again, you're like rebuilding and coming to a new understanding of actually how to create something and do it better because you're not held back by ideas of what drawing is or how things are supposed to look. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Ray Mendoza-Landa, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Shannon Pario. She's an Indian-American artist working in visual development at Sony Animation. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Yeah. So like she said, I'm Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm currently doing biz dev at Sony, and I'm also working in development on a Disney TV show. But my gig is just about to wrap up, and I'm going to be doing some visual development at Nickelodeon afterwards. I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and I have three siblings, and I have two cats and my roommate's cat. So there's three cats here. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this is like all over the place. I went to school also in Seattle, Washington, or like Redmond, Washington, but that's like Mm -hmm. 10 minutes from Seattle, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) And I went to DigiPen Institute of Technology, which is the video game development school. The way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them. Okay. And let us know why. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay, sweet, sweet. I'll start us off with the first question. Who would you rather have as a fluffy friend? Malin in panda form from Turning Red or Rilakkuma from Rilakkuma and Karu? <laughs> oh my gosh, this is... Definitely Rilakkuma. Oh, wow, really? I love Rilakkuma. There's Rilakkuma all over our house, except we're moving. So I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> but normally there's a giant, the jumbo Rilakkuma. He sits right here on this couch normally. Aww. You have a jumbo Rilakkuma. It's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I have one. Well, not, I didn't get Rilakkuma. It's the smaller one. I forgot her name. Oh, Kurilakkuma. The white one? Yes, Kurilakkuma. Yeah. I wanted at round one the first time I went. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. It's really lucky. <laughs> Round one's really awesome. <laughs> Do you know what this is, Ray? I looked it up. I it's a it's a bear and it's a bear, a smaller bear, right? <laughs> yeah, it was like a one of those mascots, kind of like Hello Kitty from Japan. Yeah, mm. but I don't know. I just kind of like my friend got super into it, or my roommate, mm-hmm. and then I just ended up getting super into it, and now we just have like a bunch of bears around our house. <laughs> if there's a specific reason, I have no idea what that reason is, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch the show after or did you like she she just had all of the Rilakkuma stuff and you're like oh this bear's kind of cute I guess I feel like it was before like I think we started using it like within our friend group to like express emotions on like Facebook messenger <laughs> like stickers and stuff yeah like the little stickers so it just kind of became a representation of like the friendship we had with all of our friends in college that's oh, so cute that's kind of why <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's cute totally okay all right. What about you, He? Who would you rather have as a fluffy friend? I was thinking also Rilakkuma. In a weird way, like, I think the relationship in Rilakkuma is kind of like having 
a pet or like an imaginary friend almost. Yeah. They're just kind of like around and she has to take care of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, it's just, it's really cute and wholesome. I think the thing that kind of tips me over is like, I like Maylin, but I also was Maylin. So I would probably hate Maylin. Like, <laughs> like you know, like when, <laughs> if somebody's too much like yourself, I'm like, well, I see all of my flaws and I hate that. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> So, I mean, as much as I loved turning red, I think maybe we'd be too close. Yeah. So, I wouldn't risk it. <laughs> I'm going to go with Rilakkuma. What do you think, Ray? I know. This, this is tough for me. I think, because I've seen pictures, I'm leaning towards Rilakkuma <laughs> because I feel like he's already, like, a big old bear. And I feel like he's meant to, like, comfort me or, like, you know, he just looks really comfortable. I feel like yeah. Maylin, even though, like, her friends do, like, you know, cuddle her or hug her because she's so fluffy and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I do want to feel that fluff. I feel like, I don't know, I guess it's different when you know the person's parents always been a bear. It's weird, like, if they're a red panda, but they're also a human when they want to revert back. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I would just feel kind of, like, messed up. I was like, oh, hey, like, can you turn back into a panda so I can hug you in your fluffy form? Because that's <laughs> yeah. more comfortable. <laughs> Totally, totally. <laughs> Technically, with Rilakkuma, there's like a giant zipper on his back. <laughs> so there might be like something inside, but it's supposed to just be a bear with a zipper on his back. <laughs> I think it's more of like, it, well, I guess it is like uh, unknown, but it, it, to me, it's more of like a, a stuffed animal situation yeah. rather than like a human. <laughs> <laughs> just a human. It's, <laughs> it would be so scary. <laughs> So the thing I'm wondering, because I didn't know how to zip on his back, like, what if I just like nuzzled up inside and just have him carry me like while I'm like nuzzled on the inside? Whoa! <laughs> He's like very protective of his zipper, so I don't know if he will let anyone inside. Oh, okay. I feel like he's always like, don't look at my zipper. You can't just ask people to touch their zipper. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, never mind. Forget. Scratch that. <laughs> okay. Next question. Would you rather be solving mysteries with Mystery Incorporated from Scooby-Doo or finding and reforming the rest of Stitch's cousins with Lilo and Stitch from Lilo and Stitch the series? Oh, interesting. I feel like I like solving mysteries more. Oh. Just because it's like... Mm. I don't know. Like, I really love Lilo and Stitch. Like, mm-hmm. I think I just love that film and I just love the dynamic of their relationship. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like going around in, in like a van and solving mysteries and it just sounds really fun and like silly and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever seen Lilo and Stitch the series? I no? haven't seen the series at all. <gasps> yeah. It's, a, it's actually a pretty good series. Really? I loved the series. <laughs> Yeah, out of all the, you know, the movies that got their own series. Like Disney Channel spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say Lilo and Sisters is probably like the best one because it has like, besides the other ones where you just kind of like, you know, it's just to kind of tell more stories of the characters. You kind of see what happened post or pre their movie. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, the Lilo and Sisters series actually had some ground to stand on. Because, yeah, the whole premise of it is that, you know how at the end of the movie, all of the other 625 experiments end up falling somewhere on the island of Hawaii? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then when they touch water, they, like, you know, uncapsulize or unrehydrate and then become the experiment. So basically, the whole premise is that Lilo and Stitch find Stitch's cousins and they try to find a purpose for them. So they also try to turn them from bad 
to good and see what other purpose it can serve besides just being destruction and being evil. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> it's it's very wholesome. Uh-huh. That also actually sounds pretty fun. Because it's one of those where like, yeah, the purpose is kind of helping these other characters develop and, you know, be good. Yeah. And not having some kind of regression for the main characters after we just seen the movie that they went through. So like, it's interesting seeing Stitch, you know, knowing how to behave, knowing how to be a good person but he'll still like you know he'll still fight he'll still be badass he'll still like you know go head to head with his cousins to try to help them out but like it's such a good series i would highly recommend to watch it if you haven't <laughs> okay i guess i'll check it out then <laughs> <laughs> so with that out the way i would probably go with reforming stitch's cousins just because i would like to kind of be in hawaii i think that would be kind of chill oh yeah and right you're just dreaming of hawaii right now <laughs> i am dreaming of hawaii i'm going to be going to hawaii end of july beginning of august so that's gonna be a lot of fun <laughs> that's so fun i actually just went like the, oh nice the beginning oh. Of, or the end of april beginning of may oh so, wonderful yeah. nice nice which island did you go to i went to oahu oh that's where we're going we're going to oahu oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's super fun <laughs> cool if you have any recommendations send them my way oh yeah totally <laughs> of what to head up yeah because i've already started planning stuff but I'll try to squeeze in some last minute things. But yeah, I've been kind of building the itinerary of our days of what we're going to be doing. That's awesome. Heck yeah. I might also go for Lilo and Stitch here. I do love the experiments. I don't know. I just think it's really funny that they're like, oh, let's take this world ending experiment that's supposed to absolutely destroy the planet and uh, we'll make them like make stone cones or whatever. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a purpose. <laughs> Be a hairstylist. It's it's really goofy. Yeah, it's so funny. I really love that Lilo and Stitch the series is also a good example of like, I mean, it wasn't like the greatest television show that I've ever seen, but it is a good example of like having a story engine. Like if you have a show Having a story engine is like really important. And the story engine in Leland Stitch is that there's 600 cousins <laughs> that eventually they're all going to find and they all are dangerous, but they will do a good thing at the end. And mm. like, it just stays interesting because you can just generate a new monster mm. and that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I really liked it all around. I also love Scooby-Doo and the gang, but like, I'm going to meet these little creatures. They're so cute. <laughs> Yeah, as much as I love Scooby-Doo and the gang, I think I'd rather hang out with Stitch. Yeah. Just because I think Stitch is more cuddly and fluffy and just like, I don't know. I just feel I'd be more interested in seeing Stitch move around and do his stuff. Yeah. Than I'd be interested in seeing Scooby talk. (laughs) (laughs) That that I agree with. More interested in Stitch and he's not a little human in a fursuit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Shannon, for playing with us, playing in between. And to our audience, if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, send us a message either on Twitter and Instagram at straightaheadap or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. Just want to say thanks again, Shannon, for jumping on and being on the podcast with us. We're so happy to have you on and get to know you. How have you been enjoying your current position in visual development at Sony? It's been a lot, to be honest. It's been a really cool experience because, like, I'm a visual development artist in quotes. Like, oh. it's not really like my role. It's just the title of my job. Hmm. Is it because they have you doing a variety of different things without assigning you to specific to environments or characters or textures? Or like, is it just a catch-all term just for what they have you currently doing? So 
It's hard to say exactly because it's like I have like a specific role, but I wouldn't say it's visual development, but I can't actually say what it is hmm. because then it says too much about the film or whatever. Got it. But it's been a lot. It's been difficult. They kind of had me kind of like hit the ground running. It's like a short gig because it ends next week. It's been a really cool experience. It's definitely been a lot because it's been different than what I'm used to. But it's like a short gig, so it's wrapping next week. But I really enjoyed the experience and the team was really fun to work with. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome, awesome. Something I also kind of want to ask is, could you tell us how you kind of first got your start working in the animation industry? Yeah, totally. So I ended up being selected as one of the artists in the Nick Artist Program. Oh, wow. That was in the beginning of 2020. Mm -hmm. And during that, I was like being mentored by the art director of The Loud House. Oh. So at the time, they needed someone to fill the role of a background designer because their background designer is working on the film. Mm -hmm. And so I basically just became a background designer, like right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And I did that for like a year and a half, I'd say. And then I kind of just like was randomly reached out to work on Proud Family at Disney TV. So I was like, oh, why not jump ship, try something different. So I did that, which then led to working at Warner Brothers, which then led to working at Netflix, which now is me working at Sony and Disney again. <laughs> so lots of jumping around. But yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. Actually, uh, something I kind of want to ask is that you said someone randomly reaching out. So did someone that you knew pass along your work or did they find you through like social media? Like how did the Proud Family thing come about? I think it was actually through LinkedIn. Oh, okay. I think I've actually gotten most of my jobs through LinkedIn or like someone seeing that like I'm available for work on LinkedIn. Wait, really? Yeah. LinkedIn? <laughs> wait, wait, what do you mean really? LinkedIn, that's where the recruiters are. Dude, LinkedIn is where it's at. <laughs> it's totally where it's at. What are you talking about, Ray? Okay, maybe it's just different because I feel like I rarely ever hear anybody actually like I feel like everybody has a LinkedIn, but no one actually really uses LinkedIn. <laughs> I do. No, yeah. I love LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was just going to say, I'm like, I love LinkedIn because it's social media, but everybody knows why I'm here. I'm like, yeah. this is for business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am here to like recruit or be recruited or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't contact me about like <laughs> personal stuff. <laughs> Here's my resume. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> what I really like about LinkedIn is that like the reach is really great. Mm -hmm. Like if I like someone's work on LinkedIn, like literally everyone that I'm connected with will see that work. So it's like really easy to get your work out there and like have it be seen by other people. Like the interaction's really great. Mm -hmm. and sometimes there's like weird people that are like, hello, I want a job. Give me a job. But that's like the extent of how weird <laughs> it is. But for the most part, that's like where all the recruiters are hanging out. So even though like when I was on the Loud House, I wasn't actually looking for another position. They just happened to be like browsing around and then they saw my profile and then they sent me an email. Mm -hmm. But like, I think I've gotten like five jobs literally just through LinkedIn, which is like almost all of my jobs. <laughs> so that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, though. So LinkedIn, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> all right, LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm sure, too, if you, like, get reached out by, like, certain recruiters and stuff, I think the algorithm's looking at that and they're like, oh, hey, check out this person. They seem popular with whatever industry you guys are working in. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Working animation is really, really fun, but it's also, like, very unpredictable of how things may fall. Because my current experience so far is, like, I've been working in the industry for, like, over two years now. And majority of my experience has just been like, you know, with Wanda Brothers, like I just roll on from one project to the next and they have some good retention rate there. But for you, it's been different. Like you've been like, yeah, jumping from studio to studio. What have you noticed about like the different cultures of the studios or like just noticing jumping from one studio to the next for a different project? Like how has that been for you? 
That's so interesting because I haven't really thought about like if I had jumped from like a project to project in a studio, how much like if it would be like more chill or if it would be just as stressful. Mm -hmm. I feel like the thing that always stresses me out is like setting up and like having to (laughs) having them to be like, okay, this is like the different stuff you need to make sure that you can work from home. Like that like stresses me out. Yeah. (laughs) Returning your Cintiq from Nickelodeon so you can pick up Cintiq from Disney. Literally. Returning your laptop to get a new laptop depending (laughs) what they give you. Maybe Disney gives you a nicer Cintiq than Nick or vice versa. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And there's like all these different like security things that they need to like bypass or like I have to have like all the the different VPNs you have to download. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I always get so stressed out because they don't actually like I feel like this has happened across the board. No one has actually just jumped on a call with me and been like, okay, this is how you walk through this. Oh, no. They're like, okay, here's the email. Figure it out. I literally spend the entire day stressing over it yeah and trying to figure out how to make it work. But that's that's not like a really big part of like the studio culture. It's honestly kind of hard to say, like, what the studio culture is, especially, like, with work from home. Mm. Mostly because I feel like my role as a background designer has been pretty isolated. Like, all I've really done in pretty much all the roles I've had is get my assignments, do the work, and submit it. Mm -hmm. And there isn't really that much of, like, discussion or collaboration as much as I had expected. Mm. So it's really hard to say, like, what the studio culture is exactly or, like, the differences between them. Mm -hmm. For the most part, they all feel, like, relatively similar. I think while I was working on Proud Family, that was probably, there was more collaboration there. Mm -hmm. One of the things I really liked about working on Proud was we had, like, a Slack and in our Slack, we would all like post like our background designs mm-hmm. in that individual channel, I guess. Mm-hmm. And initially I was like super nervous about that because I was like, oh, all the other great designers that have been working on this for like the past year and a half mm-hmm. are going to be seeing my like really sad drawings that I'm still trying to learn and figure it out. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this gives me so much anxiety. Why can't I just email it to the art director and not have to deal with anyone else? Mm-hmm. But I realized that through that, I was able to like learn off other artists, see what they were doing, collaborate more, get more support from them. Mm-hmm. So I like, I really enjoyed that process. But I think the other thing that's so hard is that every show is so different. Mm. So like I can be having like a really great experience on Proud Family while like someone else on some other show at Disney or any other studio for the matter of fact, like can be having like a really negative experience. Yeah, Everything really just comes down to the production and like how much time they have or how much money they have or, you know, mm-hmm. the different people that are like in charge of it all. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, I don't know. It's so hard to say like the differences or especially a lot of my jobs have been so short, mm-hmm. like a month or like two months. Mm-hmm. So it's been hard to know like what exactly is the culture or what's the vibe or mm-hmm. how do I connect with other people? Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But even though they've, they've been short, like again, you probably have gained so much experience in jumping from these different projects in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. Like, I could technically still have been on the Loud House like this entire time mm-hmm. if I didn't leave, which in some like small way, I'm like, wow, that sounds like really nice. Like job security, not stressed out, not trying to have to like develop and understand a new style and work with new people and figure all these things out. <laughs> like I could have just be chilling. <laughs> mm-hmm. But a lot of the reason that like I left the Loud House was because like I was like, I really want that experience to like push myself mm-hmm. and try new things and like know what it is that I actually want. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't actually choose background design. Like it was just kind of what was assigned to me. Mm. 
Oh, that's interesting. What did you have more in mind when starting? Originally, I had color design in mind. Mm-hmm. When I first started getting into art, like as a kid, I really started getting into it because I kind of liked how people treated me. Like I felt like it was like a way that we're like when you're like small, you know how people talk to you like you're like small and like you don't know anything. Yeah. Yeah. And you're dumb. Yeah. Like <laughs> I liked being an art because I felt like people would talk to me like an adult or like a human, I guess. <laughs> and so I started kind of like wanting to take classes and learning more. Mostly so like my interactions with people would be like normal and not like I'm being talked to like a small child. Mm -hmm. So I started taking classes and eventually I found a class that I really liked where I felt like they were taking art seriously. And I was like 13 at the time. So like, what do I know really? (laughs) Real serious stuff. (laughs) At the time, I just felt like they're interested in teaching me and helping me push my skill level. So I'm just going to take classes here. And in general, I was like a super lazy kid. Like, (laughs) I feel like I was not productive. I'd always procrastinate. Like, I was like the laziest person ever, I swear. And I take these art classes mostly just to relax. And the art classes were basically chalk pastel, watercolor painting, and oil painting. And I basically just like Mm -hmm. pick a drawing out. Like, it would usually just be like a master copy of like some other person's painting. And I just like sit there and I like paint for like six months to a year on like one painting. Oh my God. And that was like a super relaxing process for me. Like it would really help me de-stress from like school. Mm -hmm. And when I was like really grumpy and angry and I was like, I don't want to go to art class. I'd go anyways and I'd feel really good at the end. So it always just been like a really like nice thing that I had done. Hmm. And so when college came around and my dad was like, oh, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. I have like, I literally don't. I literally felt like I was the kind of person that cared about nothing and was just like, I was like the worst person ever, I swear. (laughs) And and my dad was like, oh, what if you go to art school? Not that my dad talks like that. I don't know why I'm putting on that voice. Um, There was an art school like 10 minutes away from my house and it was called DigiPen Institute of Technology. I know DigiPen sounds like such a lame name, like DigiPen, like (laughs) it just sounds so stupid. DigiPen, digital monster. I think it sounds like one of the off-brand tablets. Like XP pen. <laughs> exactly. It sounds like an off-room tablet. <laughs> but I didn't really have any like prospects or like anything like specific that I wanted to do. And I was like, yeah, I'm good at art. And like, this is really close and convenient. So I just applied and I ended up getting in. And once again, I would start school and be super lazy and do all my assignments like last minute or the day of and like just not care. And like, because I had like relatively okay hand skills, mm. I was able to like get by and like it'd be fine but then sophomore year hit and we started working on team projects Mm -hmm. and i was deathly afraid of like having anyone else fail and so i was like oh my gosh if i do a bad job and i don't pull my weight then everyone else is gonna fail and it's gonna be my fault (laughs) and so really in that moment like i just did a 180 of my personality (gasps) and was like now i really care and i'm really productive and all these things are gonna change and like In that process of making that project, I just absolutely fell in love with animation. Like, I didn't even know that animation was, like, hand-drawn. Like, I don't... (laughs) I feel like most people at least, like, go to school because they, like, really liked The Lion King and thought it was really cool or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they they watched, like, the little, like, video at the end where they're, like, making the animation. Mm, Making up, yeah. But I, like, had no idea that animation... I don't know why it didn't click that, like, people did these drawings. (laughs) It just never occurred to me. And so then when I was like, oh, my gosh, like, we're flipping it and, like, we're drawing the literal lines and we have to, like... This is insane. Like, this is, is, like, the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And I'm really interested in this. I also, like, couldn't see it. Like, I couldn't understand, like, 
I'd like do my assignment and then like I'd submit it and like my professor would be like, oh, your forms are off or like the volumes are changing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I literally don't Mm -hmm. know what you're saying because I can't like I didn't have the trained eye to actually like see anything. Mm -hmm. And so when I started my sophomore project and I was animating and I had to take things seriously, it was also kind of like this time where all of us were like really like became friends, like me and my friends all like got together and like started bonding and getting to know each other mm-hmm. and like staying up really late and then going to McDonald's at like midnight. And like, just, like <laughs> it was like all this grueling work was just so, so much fun. Like it was probably like the funnest time that I'd ever had. And that's kind of what really made me want to get into animation was really like this moment where I was bonding with other people and collaborating and like it wasn't even that great of a story it was like kids like stealing cookies on top of the fridge (laughs) Mm -hmm. it was like it wasn't even like interesting but it was just so much fun and I was like I really want to do this like whatever this is this is what I want to do and as I continued like in school I was like okay what's a cool role like visual development that seems cool like what even is that I guess I'll do that (laughs) like this seems fine (laughs) exactly why not but I didn't really have like I wasn't really like I had hand skills like when it came to like realism but when it came to design like I didn't really know what I was doing or I didn't like in comparison to everyone else around me or like my friends or my teammates like Mm -hmm. they actually knew what design was and I was like I don't know what I'm doing like Mm. And so because of that, I kind of was like, oh, I want to be a viz dev artist, but everyone else is so much better than me. Like, I'm not going to be a viz dev artist on my team. I'm not Mm going to try to do these things that I'm scared of because I'm thinking that I really want a good product or like a good film at the end. And to do that, everyone else has to do these roles and I should take the backseat. And like the backseat at the time included being like a producer. Mm. And filling in the roles that like other people weren't as interested in yeah, or just couldn't do. And so one of those roles, at least for my senior film, was color design. Like none of us knew how to do color design. (laughs) No one knew how to figure it out. And I was like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing. I guess this is my role now. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, it was so hard um it was like (laughs) it was so difficult like designing the color keys i didn't know what i was doing at the time Mm. and it was like this really grueling process until like my professor was like what if you like think about it differently and think about it like you're trying to tell a story Mm -hmm. instead of like trying to get these like accurate colors because like the color scheme in the film is like sunset like it's like afternoon and then it's like sets tonight Mm -hmm. and i remember like freshman year one of my professors was like don't paint sunset. It doesn't make any sense. And so like those like that idea or that thought was just like in my head and I couldn't like come up with anything because I was like, there's no way I can do it because if my professor can't do it, like why can I do it? Mm-hmm. And so when she changed like the narrative by saying, hey, think about this like a story, like everything clicked and I was able to come back to the table and think about the whole thing differently and really create like something that had like a lot of impact. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that was really great for me because I was like, oh, I finally have a role. I finally have a place. I have something that like my other friends can't do. And this must be what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I had gone in like kind of hoping to do color design and trying to do things around color design. But at the time, there wasn't really that many color design portfolios or like yeah. figuring out like what that was exactly was pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. There was like, I think it was like a Gray Chen. She had like some color mm-hmm. design stuff on her website. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You put the characters on top of a background. 
and like you paint them and you show it. <laughs> That's what it looks like. And so I remember going to like Lightbox or um, CTN and being like, oh, cool. Here's my color design. And they were like, oh, cool. You actually like know what color design is. And I was like, uh, yeah, I know what color design is. <laughs> I didn't really know what color design was, but I just guessed what it was. And you're like, yeah, of course. I know the word color design. Exactly. Here's my colored portfolio. <laughs> but also like during that summer, even though I had found my niche, I still didn't believe in my like ability or like mm. my skill set. I still thought everyone else around mm. me was so much better. And I was like, eh, I'm not going to get a job after I graduate, it'll probably be like two or three years or something like at the least. So I was like, let me just focus on my friend who's like really good. And who's also my roommate. I was like, she is a really great board artist. And like, if she can like, just figure out how to put her portfolio together and like, I can help her organize it and come up with ideas with her, mm -hmm. she'll get a job. And that's exactly what happened. Like literally in like three weeks, she got a job wow. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. <laughs> she got a job great now i guess i have to get a job or like now i have to figure myself out <laughs> and so i just started to slowly like try to embrace the things that i was really scared of mm. like i was like okay the only thing i know how to do right now i feel is color design okay i really need to get to figure out how to like paint like a background or draw a background or understand perspective more so i just like set these small tasks for myself which would be like okay the first thing I was going to do, because I had like this professor in school that was like, okay, there's three things that you're going to do every day. One of them is going to be draw from life. The other is draw from imagination. And the other is draw from like the masters. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try to do something along those lines, but to a much lesser extent. Like I was like, I'm just going to try to draw one thing a week. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that one thing will either be like a master copy a painting like a life drawing painting or like a plein air painting mm -hmm. or just like doodle something for my imagination and i was trying to set the bar like super super low so it could definitely <laughs> do it <laughs> i was like if i could mm -hmm. just do one thing a week like i can probably just do one little thing a week mm -hmm. and that would also like go into like other small things like okay i just really want to draw something but i don't want to draw what if i just set a timer for five minutes and i draw within those five minutes and then if i don't want to draw at the end of the five minutes that I don't have to draw. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if I want to draw, I'll keep drawing. And usually I did want to keep drawing. Like, I feel like the part that's always been the hardest is starting. Um, mm, but like, yeah. once you start, it's like, oh, this is fun. Or I actually like this. Or this isn't so bad. So really that kind of like summer became just like pushing myself to try new things and do things that I was afraid of. Mm -hmm. And in that process, I like applied to the Nick Artist Program. And my friend who was moving to the Bay Area for her job, I was like, I'm going to go with you because I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want to be in Seattle. <laughs> and I, I feel like I was like feeling like I'd still be within the negative space of like school. And like, I'm sure like a lot of people talk about their experience in art school. And not that art school is like bad mm -hmm. per se. It just can be like really draining mm -hmm. and emotionally exhausting because you kind of like put your entire self into something. And yeah. Like when you don't really have like, I don't know, like a great portfolio or stuff that you're really proud of or just like the, mm -hmm. the struggle of like art. I didn't really want to like keep that with me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to leave <laughs> and live with you for a bit. Mm -hmm. And then because she was going to work and like I'd just be like sitting at home and I'd be like, OK, cool, I have to do something. And that would continue me like being like, OK, I'm going to continue 
my little exercises of just trying to draw for five minutes or try to get something out and finish something for a week. And so then like I started the Nick Artist Program, like crazy interview process, which is like over four months. Oh, wow. And I just kept making art and trying to get better. Mm. And it was actually really cool because even though at the beginning of September, like I had heard the callback for the Nick Artist Program, I kept making stuff in that process. And because of some of the stuff that I was making, like while I was interviewing is what actually ended up landing me the job. Hmm. But yeah, I don't remember what the question was, but (laughs) (laughs) hopefully I said something in there. (laughs) How you fell into background design and at one point from from color design to background design. I think that was really, really interesting. Your sort of like thought process throughout all of that too. Of like, you know, feeling like, oh, I'm not the best person in my class or best person on this project doing that. So even though I'm like kind of interested in the subject of like background design or or painting, you kind of put yourself off of it, which is really unfortunate because I think a lot of people tend to do that in school, especially like you said, you know, working towards a good final product. But like you're in school and you're paying money and you are trying to get your education and you're not going to get better at something if you just never do it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. I mean, the the fact that you kind of fell into color design, too, and ended up loving it and like having, I guess, the niche thing that you liked was great. But like, it's kind of too bad that you didn't, I guess, fall into background design sooner because it seemed like you you kind of went back to it anyway and like yeah you know ended up honing those skills and like you said you didn't really have the portfolio you wanted out of college and I think a lot of that stuff could have I mean you probably would have gotten to the same place anyway but like a lot of that stuff could have happened I guess a little sooner for you or like among your peers and stuff like that so I guess what I'm trying to say is like I think a lot of people will put themselves off of opportunities and like they'll close those doors for themselves but i think if you really even have an inkling of wanting to do something you should just do it while you're in school yeah totally like even if you're not the best at it and just like keep pursuing it because Mm -hmm. you are there for your own education even though you are all working towards the same goal yeah you know (laughs) yeah you're paying the school money yeah make the most out of it (laughs) don't let that money go to waste yeah i think like the thing that really held me back at the time was like being afraid of making bad art Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. i feel like making bad art is like so important like Mm -hmm. it's just like continuing to push yourself and move forward and not be afraid of like stuff not working out Mm -hmm. like when i was in my figure drawing class i did not know how to figure draw for the life of me. And my professor was like, he'd always come around during class and be like, draw faster. And that would be like the only note he would give me. And I was like, (laughs) I'm going insane. Like I can't draw faster. This is as fast as I can draw. If I draw any faster, like my pen will just fly out of my hand. Like what what are you even talking about? And so I just kept doing what he was saying. Like I'd like get so frustrated. Like sometimes I just like be on the verge of tears in class because I was like, do you really have no other notes other than draw faster? I swear. But eventually it actually clicked. Suddenly it just like fell into place. And like I was drawing faster and I could understand what he was suddenly saying. Like it just suddenly worked out. And I think a lot of it had to do with like breaking my understanding of how I draw, like Mm. and coming in with like this preconceived notion of like, this is how you draw. This is how things work. But then when you like continually go back and break your foundation of what you think drawing is and then you do it again you're like rebuilding and coming to a new understanding of actually how to create something Mm. and like do it better because Mm -hmm. you're not like held back by these like ideas of like what drawing is or 
how things are supposed to look. Mm-hmm. And so in the same sense, like with school, there's like this idea that you can't like fight back against authority and you need to like fall in line and do your role and stuff like that. But really like breaking that, like Yuki was saying, and like just embracing doing what you want to do and not giving a crap too much, which obviously can be like really difficult. Like it's so important Mm -hmm. because it allows you to get where you really want to go or allows you to do what your goal really is. Like Mm -hmm. if you really want to be a good artist, you're going to have to make stuff that isn't good to eventually get there. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard because it's like bend your mind and like figure all this Mm -hmm. stuff out Mm -hmm. to eventually get to where you want to be. Yeah. It's also like that age old expression that they constantly say that you have to make a thousand bad drawings to make one good one. Yeah. Your time in school, if you decide to go to school, if you kind of pursue animation, is the time to make those thousand bad drawings. Exactly. Yeah. Something else I kind of want to ask and kind of segue into is that, like you mentioned in the beginning, you're currently doing some development work at Disney TV for a cartoon series. How has that differed from what you have done in the past? And also, I kind of want to clarify this a little bit. Are you specifically in development for something or are you helping a show that's still in that development stage? I'd say I'm helping a show that's in development. Like okay. we're making like the animation test for the show to like pitch to the studio. But like mm. it's still at the studio, like it's still part of the studio. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like lots of studios have their own development departments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hasn't been fully greenlit yet to be like, okay, let's make this a full fledged series, but kind of testing it the water, seeing like what could this series be? How can it look like? What could be our target demographic or like what could be the appeal? Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much what it is. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like my role is like maybe a little bit more specific. So it's like developing these ideas or these background concepts but then also kind of applying them to actual backgrounds Mm -hmm. but it's been a really cool job like I've really liked the process I think it's kind of like the first time I've actually had like the opportunity to like share my opinion or like share my thoughts Mm. in like a background design slash viz dev role and so that's been really cool like even though like I really like background design because I haven't really been able to have that collaboration aspect, it hasn't really been as fulfilling for me. Mm-hmm. And so being in this role has probably been like the first time I've actually like had like fun, which sounds kind of weird, but like <laughs> I never really had fun at my job before because I I don't know. I don't really know exactly. Like I feel like it's mostly because there isn't any collaboration. Mm-hmm. At least there hasn't been any collaboration but also because like there's two different ways that I like have quote unquote fun. And like one version of that is like literally like hanging out with other people and like making really cool stuff with other people Mm. in that collaboration process. Mm -hmm. And then there's this other version of fun that's sort of like more geared towards like this idea of like improvement and like being like, oh, it's fun to sit here and overcome aspects of art that I'm not very good at. Mm. And then that satisfaction of being like, I've overcome this thing and I've made something that's cool and that's fun. And so I feel like for background design, it's always kind of been that way for me where it's just like I'm improving and I'm getting better at the skill set. And that's been really cool and fun in a sense. Mm. But it's never really been about people or like interacting with people, which is kind of the whole reason I wanted to come be into animation in the first place. And so with this job where it's kind of like more surrounding people and development and like collaboration, it's been so fun in like in like a more, I don't know, like jovial or like silly kind of way than like fun as in like learning and discipline, I guess. If that makes mm-hmm. Sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. I forgot the question again. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I, I answered it. <laughs> I I feel that too. I think like earlier on in the podcast, you were talking about how obviously different productions have different you know styles for how they sort of handle like work life culture that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like when I was interning on Craig of the Creek. Our team was so much different from like Ben 10 or We Bear Bears. We were on the same floor and in the same company, but like the culture between different productions was super different. And like everybody's super cool when you work in animation, but it was like you could definitely tell there's like different vibes. And that also comes down from like a production management, like executive level that you wouldn't really think about, I guess, as a student or coming into the industry. That was like a big thing that I was like, oh, like our like executive producer was like a lot more chill with certain things than different production or like you know they would allow certain parties or whatever to happen you know like team building stuff Mm -hmm. but the other thing that I noticed is like working for a smaller company was a lot different from my experience working for like a larger a more corporate company Mm -hmm. from when I worked at Atomic Cartoons it was really impersonal and it might have been also because I was like a contractor slash freelancer, but like we used Google Meets, Google Chat, that kind of thing. And there wasn't really any way to have like a channel where things weren't business. And at a smaller company that I've been at, it's like we use Slack and then there's like you can request to have a separate channel for just like memes or goofing off. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's super important because like it's really tough to feel like you can be vulnerable in art, I feel like, Mm -hmm. if you don't know the people and like kind of coming back to feeling like you have to be like really good or perfect at your job is really difficult when you're trying to make something good because I think like making those mistakes and being open about it and welcoming feedback is really helpful for a job at any level. Yeah, totally. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of kind of going off on on a tangent there. No, yeah, (laughs) of course. No, that's good tangents. I like that. So one of the other things I kind of want to ask is that do you think your cultural background influences your voice as an artist? Because again, here on the podcast, we try to spotlight voices of Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And it's always kind of interesting to us to see how and if people's cultural background influences the work that they do or the way they carry themselves in their role. Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, I don't really know how my cultural voice like impacts my art, mostly because like a lot of the art that I make isn't really isn't super focused on like me or like Mm. my experiences it's more just kind of like cool this is a painting of a house (laughs) 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 and I think I've always wanted to have that vulnerability like in my art Mm -hmm. but I've just never really done it yet because I've never really felt like good enough I guess to make Mm -hmm. like vulnerable art not that that's like a good reason. I should definitely just make vulnerable art. But um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, for example, when I had the opportunity to work on Boons and Curses, it was like such a cool experience because like literally almost like there was such a large amount of people that were just brown. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. I everyone is brown here. Like, this is so cool. And so like seeing the boards and like seeing like things in that show that literally were things that I had experienced or just like part of my daily life or like. I don't know, like part of just like who I am was like the coolest thing. Like it was so cool and like emotional because it's like, wow, I'm like actually seeing myself on screen or like when we decided to make Harper in our my short film, my senior short film for college Indian, it wasn't something that I thought that mattered to me that much. Mm. But then when we were trying to figure out who she was, I was like, oh, what if we made her brown? It was kind of like almost like a joke. Like, what if we did this? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then 
when they were like, oh yeah, let's do it. And then they actually came up with a design. I like immediately like just burst into tears, like not without really understanding like Uh. how important like seeing myself or like seeing aspects of like my culture or my Mm -hmm. experience like in the media that I make was that I didn't realize how important it was until I actually like did it. So I think making like me wanting to have a cultural like voice in my personal work or just in the work that I bring to the table has been hard because for me, it's really about like being vulnerable. And I've struggled with that, like mm-hmm. because I'm I'm not really being able to connect with people as well. Mostly, I feel like it's probably just because of the pandemic. But yeah, I'm hoping to be able to like continue making art that really brings in who I am to the table. Like, I absolutely love the work that. I'm forgetting her name, but she's the production designer on Mitchell's versus machines. Oh, and she did like all these little pieces of like her and her grandma. Mm-hmm. And that was basically what ended up getting her that role. Mm-hmm. And it was just like all this personal art of her just like literally hanging out with her grandma and like eating food with her or like when her grandma was sick, going to the hospital. And I just think that like making stuff like that would be so cool and like exactly the direction that i like want to go in with my own personal art Mm -hmm. because it's like so meaningful and it's like it means so much to like see those kinds of personal interactions in art and because like i've been like a background designer or because i've like always been focused on like how can i improve how can i make art that looks good Mm -hmm. and is like at a high skill quality i haven't really focused enough on like the personal aspect of what I feel like really is what connects art. And so Mm. eventually (laughs) I'm going to make some personal art, but hopefully that's sooner rather than later. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're right. It's really difficult. But I'm also really happy to hear that you've had those moments, you know, especially with your senior short film. And one thing I just want to quickly say, my heart goes out to Jay and uh, Jake for Boons and Curses and the entire crew. Mm -hmm. That was so sad to see. That Netflix canned it. Yeah, extremely disappointing. But yeah, I, it just sucks. And like, it just the state of animation is a bit weird, especially with Netflix. But right. yeah, I'm still happy to hear that you got a chance to work on a show like that where you were able to feel like you were seen, where it was relatable to you. And yeah, like, it's so cool being on production, whether it's a production of color, just being on production when there's a lot of familiar faces or people that, you know, like you said, you got to work with, you saw a lot of brown people, you got to work with a lot of brown individuals and like, I kind of had like kind of that same experience. I'm currently freelancing on a project called uh, Rey Mysterio versus La Oscuridad that's being produced in Mexico and just being on the calls with other fellow Hispanics and like, you know, Mexicans has been really cool to me. And being able to like switch from talking to English and Spanish with them and joke around in Spanish has been an amazing experience. And being able to work on, you know, a series based in Mexico or like series like that's like it's lucha libre, it's fighting, it's cool. There's like, you know, aesthetics of, you know, Mexican culture has been really fun for me. And hearing what you said just makes me feel like we need projects like this. Yeah, mm. totally. I have a question. If you guys don't want to talk about it, that's OK. Mm-hmm. But I know that of both of you, I mean, like Boons and Curses, you know, has been canned by Netflix. And recently, Ray, you were on Wings of Fire, which was also like, you know, shelved. By Netflix, um, not not really uh, pointing the the camera on Netflix, but like as people who are just sort of starting out in the industry, and you know this kind of happens a lot where a project will just fall to the wayside for various reasons. Obviously, it's out of the artist's control, and you're making really great stuff. Like, how has that been for you guys? Do you have like the support of the rest of your crew? Have people come forward and been like, you know, oh, like this happens all the time, like. 
we'll get through it, that kind of thing. Or if you guys don't want to talk about it, that's totally okay too. Just know that this is sort of like happened recently uh, for both of you, if you want to. Yeah, I, I can touch on it first. Uh, first off, the crew was really supportive. Like, I think the whole crew just let like a day or two pass just to kind of digest and like, you know, cope with the information of being informed that our show got cut. I think the saddest part to me is the fact that like, we had such an amazing crew and just the fact that like all that work and all the art and all the effort that we put in is never going to get a chance to be seen by anybody is probably like also the most heartbreaking thing mm. that really sucks. But I can't tell you how many people stepped up saying like, hey, we created like this whole discord of people in the show. Like, hey, everybody post your portfolio. Like, let's put a doc together that we can just send out to like recruiters and stuff. And like, like the more established artists that were on the team really went out of their way to start showcasing people's portfolios to other studios. Like, mm. I can't tell you how many different like interviews offers I got or setups I got like within the third day of just me like still dealing with the news of hearing that wings got canceled and people were just on it sending our stuff around like I yeah I had some I had a couple of interviews set up with Nickelodeon Bento Box I think they're in Canada Barbell Entertainment uh, Bardell oh, yeah yeah. Bard- yeah Bardell Entertainment and just like to me that was just insane how fast it kind of went and I was at the time I wasn't really actively pursuing work but the crew was really really supportive and really trying to make sure that everybody you know was putting their best foot forward and what our next journey was going to be I'm interested to see here how it was for you, Shannon, because you were only on there for like a brief period of time. Yeah. As more of a freelance artist, right? Yeah. yeah. I, and only if you want to talk about it. Sorry, it kind of like sprung <laughs> yeah. the question on you. but No, no, it's totally fine. I was only on it for like a month and I was just freelancing. So I didn't really like connect with the crew or like get to know the crew as much. Mm. For me, like what I think kind of along the lines of what you were saying earlier, it was just really sad that like other people aren't going to be able to experience like what it feels like to like see yourself on screen Mm. in that same sense. Mm -hmm. Cause like for me, like seeing that moment that like I related to so much was like really impactful. Like it was like, I don't know. It's just so crazy. It's like, what? Like Mm -hmm. that's like literally my life or like, that's literally what I've experienced. Mm -hmm. And it's such like a cool moment. And I really wish that everyone else was able to be able to experience that like with me. Instead, I Mm -hmm. just feel like I was the only one that got to experience it or the team really got to experience it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there definitely was like a lot of support. Like everyone was like definitely interested in like trying to make sure that even though like I like was only on the show for like a month, like I still feel like people were like, oh, you worked on Booze and Curses. Like we have opportunities. So I thought that was really cool and like really nice of everyone in the industry to just like go out of the way to make sure that hey are you guys okay we'll take care of you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah i just wanted to kind of remind people who are like breaking in that it is pretty common that that happens i mean right here like we have two people who who have just experienced it and it's such a small industry yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that there will always be people helping you like land on your feet yeah yeah when yuki and i were starting i don't know what specific year but when we were both in our first year at san jose state one of the things that happens is that PDI, DreamWorks PDI, closed down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and then again, what is it, two years now? Two, like two years ago Blue now? Sky, Blue Sky shutting down. So, yeah. it's a, yeah. animation is thriving, but it's not uncommon for studios to shut down or, you know, production costs, like financial circumstances allowing productions to close. But the community is so supportive. And yeah, people outside of Wanderers, people outside of like my current production, yeah, like, like Shannon was saying, was reaching out saying like, 
oh, hey, you're wearing Wings of Fire. Like, hey, like, are you looking for work? Or, hey, we might have some stuff available. Like, I can't tell you how many private DMs I got from many different people, friends and fellow recruiters or friends and recruiters that were just reaching out, seeing if I was okay or wanting to know if I was interested in finding work. Yeah. The community is great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today, Shannon. As we come to a close, where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to promote? Yes, you guys can find me on <laughs> Twitter and Instagram. My handle is Shneenon, S-H-N-E-E-N-O-N. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can also find me on LinkedIn. Like, shout out LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heck yeah. But I'm pretty responsive. So if anyone ever wants to send me like an email, if you go to like my website or anywhere really, I'll usually respond like pretty fast. So feel free to reach out if you have any extra questions or anything. Cool, cool. And as we try to transition into a happier note, <laughs> as we come to a close, what final advice would you want to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in animation? Final advice? I guess it's along the lines of like, don't be afraid to just do what you want to do. Like, you don't have to wait to do the things that you want. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to make stuff or you want to be an artist in this industry, you can do that right now by like just going and doing stuff on your own or finding like a group of like-minded people and like collaborating. Like you don't really have to feel like, oh, when will my opportunity or my moment happen? And I get it. Like, especially like wanting to get a job and like being able to pay the bills is like really important. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like making art, you can literally make art whenever you want, however you want to, for as long as you want to. So you don't have to like feel like paralyzed by you know that moment where you're like will I ever get into the industry or and trying so hard and like working years and years like just trying to break in like if you're making stuff and you're putting yourself out there and you're constantly trying to push yourself forward like there's pretty much like no way I feel like you wouldn't get a job like Mm. unless you're like super unlucky but like you're probably not that unlucky (laughs) (laughs) like there's so many opportunities out there and there's so many like things that you can do like just like going out there and like embracing that that's what you want is like probably like the main thing that I had taken away from my experience. And then also like not being afraid to do the things that you're scared of, as well as like not being afraid that when you want to do the things that you're afraid of and then you do those things and then you're like, wait, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. Like changing your mind or changing the things that you want to do is like totally part of the process. It's totally fine. Like I feel like it can be like really overwhelming, but Like just embracing change and embracing your fears is the only real way that like I've felt that I've been able to move forward as an artist. So those are my couple of thoughts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wonderful. So thank you, Shannon, for that wonderful piece of advice. If you enjoyed our interview with Shannon today, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP. Special thanks to Marissa Torres for suggesting Shannon as a guest. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to our editor, Edgar Arellano, for editing this episode. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.